There was uh, one thing I, I didn't mention earlier um, about uh, the youth group stuff getting started, and that is this. Uh, Jason and I have been talking about this actually off and on since they arrived, and uh, he is super excited. If you see him, just ask him and see if you can get that vibe uh, for it. It's kind of one of those things, whenever um, that's what you do, and that's what he did, um, even through high school, he was a little bit of a leader, and then once he got into college, he was helping with student ministry at a church, and so once, you, once that's who you are, when you go to a place, and I mean, not that he doesn't love helping McKenna. He loves helping McKenna. That's not it at all. It's just that he really, really enjoys that side of the world as well, and so um, anyway, super, super duper excited about that. The other thing that I wanted to let you know, um, if if you're watching online, then maybe you sensed this. I'm not sure, um, but uh, we've added a new element to the room that you can't see because they're very well hidden, but there are a couple of microphones, and those microphones are facing you. And so the folks at home can now even feel a little bit more like they're here uh, with us all singing. And you sounded beautiful, by the way, uh, this morning. That's one of the reasons I love sitting in the front, is because then I can hear everyone, and it's, it's just a wonderful thing. So uh, anyway, so that means also, you know, during this time, uh, the, the things that, that you might say or the way you might interact, they're going to sense that and hear that at home as we get that dialed in a little bit better each week. So, so just know that that exists and that uh, no longer is it just us on stage that are a part of the service. You are now a part of the service, at least vocally. All right, so that's super exciting. I'm excited David was able to get that up and running this last week. All right, we're starting a new series today, and so I'm going to set it up for you. In Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, you got to go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. You read the story of mankind all coming together. It says that everyone spoke the same language. And they settled on a plain in a place called Shinar. Well, that place is in ancient Mesopotamia. It's located between the Tigris and Euphrates River right there in modern-day Iraq. You're probably familiar with that region of the world. And God's Word says that they aspired to build themselves a city, a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that they can make their name known. Otherwise, they would be scattered all over the face of the earth. It was a noble, noble plan to unite all of humanity as one. Go ahead, let your minds wonder. Think of today, what noble plan does mankind have to try to unite everyone? We still have the, the language differences. Holding up man in such a way that they no longer needed God. Hey, God, we got this. We don't need you if you even exist. It doesn't matter. We, we are humans. We're all of humanity. We're united together. We can do anything that we want. And it says, the Lord came down to see their progress, to see the, the city and the tower that they were building. And he said this, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will become impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them all over the face of the earth. And they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because the Lord there confused their language, the languages of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the whole face of the earth. That's from Genesis 11, beginning in verse Five And so it was. They left the city in ruins. The people scattered all over the place. New languages, of course, were formed. Now, what you may not know is when this took place. It took place somewhere around the time period of 2422 B.C., okay? So 2,242 B.C. That is only probably a couple hundred years after the time of Noah. And his flood. In other words, Noah's descendants, Noah's relatives, they were still living during this time where once again, man is already rebelling against God. So if you ever wondered, 
Does this type of thing happen frequently on planet Earth between man and God? The answer is yes. (laughs) Yes, it does. There's nothing new under the sun, as the wise Solomon let us know. All right? What you might not realize is that about 500 years after this moment, after God did this Tower of Babel thing and separated man in all the languages, about 500 years later, the Amorite king Hammurabi, now some of you have heard that name before, he reassembled a kingdom right in that very same location. Strong army, great wealth, ancient Babylon, as it was then called, became rich, powerful, and influential. They even created one of the world's finest and earliest, most complete, complicated legal codes. It was called the United States Tax Code. No. The Code of Hammurabi, which is probably a lot easier to understand than our tax code, but it's a whole other story, right? Now, the kingdom of Babylon, of course, came and went and came and went and came and went again until finally... In 612 BC, we'll get to where we begin, where we pick up the story. The Babylonian Empire had become the most powerful nation state in the entire known world. They weren't the only nation state, but they just overcome the Persians, the mighty, mighty, I'm sorry, they overcame the Assyrians to conquer that region of the world once again. Their kingdom, the Babylonian Empire, only lasted less than 100 years, though. It was very short-lived before the Persians came in and overtook the Babylonians. And so we have this constant cycle, and eventually you get to the Greeks and then the Romans, and you know the rest of that story. It was during this 87-year reign of Babylon in that region that our story takes place. Jerusalem was conquered, and many Jews were taken into exile just as the prophets had foretold. I'm going to read to you part of that foretelling, part of that prophecy from the prophet Jeremiah, beginning in chapter 25, verse 1. Jeremiah said it this way, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah, that in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar, some of you know that name, of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem for 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. Yes, Jeremiah preached the same sermon for 23 years, and no one would listen to him. And though the Lord has sent all his servants and the prophets to you again and again, you haven't listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay. You can stay in the land the Lord your God gave you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods. Do not serve them. Do not worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made, and then I will not harm you. But in verse 7, God says, you did not listen to me. You have aroused my anger with what your hands have made. You have brought harm to yourselves. Think of our culture today and the harm we're bringing on ourselves. It's not being inflicted upon us by anyone. We're drawing it. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land, And its inhabitants, and against all the surrounding nations, I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy, of gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sounds of millstones, the light of a lamp. The whole country will become desolate and wasteland, and these nations will serve the the king of Babylon for 70 years." 
But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord. And I will make it desolate forever. I will bring on that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. This is where we begin this series, Thriving in Babylon. This is the environment that the Jews were forced into after they had chosen to abandon God. Now, the Assyrians long ago had overtaken the northern kingdom of Israel, and now the Babylonians have overtaken the Assyrians, and they come in and attack Judah. They overtake the kingdom of Judah. If Judah falls, many Jews are killed. Many Jews are taken into exile. Jerusalem falls, and here comes our story. Now, if we pause there for just a moment, very few of us, thank you, Jesus, have ever been held in captivity. We know that there might be some among us that have, whether it be military or some other horrific life experience, but very few of us have been forced into that kind of situation. God has blessed us, whether you agree or disagree, I don't know how you could disagree, really. God has blessed us with an incredible nation. Is it flawed? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And part of the reason it's flawed is because I'm here. I'm a human, and I make mistakes, as will lots of other human beings. So our nation's not perfect, but man, it is incredible. It is incredibly free to this day. And yes, we must fight for that freedom. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, and you seek with all you have to follow his ways and become more and more like him, then it is quite possible that you begin to look around in these times and go, you know, I kind of feel like I'm living in a foreign land. Things just aren't the way they should be. As we watch the decisions being made and the agendas and the ideals that are being promoted, we are seeing in bold contrast the difference between man's ways and God's ways. And as a reminder, which David spoke to us last week from the prophet Isaiah 55 verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways. Your ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That is so, so true. And we live in a world, and particularly we live in a nation that insists on proving God's word correct time and time again. It's really funny as the world tries to disprove God's word, all it really does is confirm it more and more and more for us, right? It's an incredible thing. The words we read earlier, the prophet Jeremiah, but you didn't listen to me, said God. And you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made. You have brought harm on yourselves and your decisions are affecting everyone. They're hurting us, our generation. They're hurting our kids. Our decisions are setting our great-great-great-grandchildren up for total failure in this life. So what do we do? What do we do? The reality is, just like the ancient Jews, God will eventually cast judgment upon those that do not follow his son Jesus. We know that's going to happen. But God has chosen this time. God has chosen this culture. God has chosen this location for you and for me to live, hasn't he? There's a reason for that. So many people, and probably a few of you just a few moments ago, fell to this trap in your brain. You said, you know, I want to go back to the good old days. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. There's no such thing, in case you didn't know that. 
You can think times were better, but I guarantee you they weren't, and I'll prove it to you next week, so make sure you tune in next week. Or if we're not reminiscing about what used to be, then of course we're afraid of what's to come, the future. Neither of which do we have any control whatsoever at all over, do we? We have this moment. That's all. We have this day. We have this time to live. It's where God put us. And God did not call us just to exist in this world in any way, shape, or form. God called us to live abundantly, an abundant life in this world. It's an incredible thing. How do we tap into that? How do we tap into that abundant life with everything that keeps going on and keeps happening in our midst? How do we keep from getting discouraged? How do we fight back in a way that brings glory and honor to God so that we can thrive in modern-day Babylon? Well, believe it or not, there's no better place to look than God's Word. That's not a big surprise, I hope to you. But the really ironic thing is the best place to go and look for this advice is actually ancient Babylon and the guy we're going to be talking about Daniel. Daniel is an incredible story. At the height of the Babylonian Empire, when it's as most powerful as it ever was, Daniel was taken into captivity as a part of the exile predicted by the prophets such as Jeremiah. Throughout this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Daniel's life as an example of how to thrive when you're put in the midst of such a culture, such an environment. In times like these, where what used to be normal and mainstream have now become what they call closed-minded or even wrong, depending on the culture. Times in which the ways of God have now been dismissed, rejected, and even sometimes criminalized, while acts of sin are accepted, promoted, and even deemed now necessary in order for some people to survive. Apart from Christ, these times, these thoughts, these can be very confusing things. And please know this, that confusion is 100% intentional. It is not an accident that these times are so confusing because Satan himself is the author of confusion and chaos. He thrives when people are distracted. He thrives when people are in violent opposition to one another. When God's ways are rejected and sin is promoted, then what Satan is able to do then is to get into people's minds and he confuses them to the point that now sin is accepted as normal. He's even begun to blur the lines in a way that caused many people to believe that if you are now in opposition to sin or what they call the new normal, then of course you are the evil one. It's a masterful plan. But how do we fight against this? How do we oppose this without being demonized ourselves? How do we oppose this without being fired from our jobs? How do we oppose this without using the trendy word here, be canceled? How do we do that? How do we do that? It's not easy. It won't be easy. But Daniel gives us a great example. Remember this, we will always have the truth on our side. The absolute truth of God will always be there for you, as will God himself. The God of all creation is on your side. That's how you prevail in this battle. Jesus promised us, John 16, 33, we're going to go to that all the time in this culture, in this world in which we live. We will have trouble. Every generation of believers on this planet has some form of trouble. Maybe this is ours. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to succumb to it, give in, just turn over the reins and let the world have its way? Or will we take heart and place our hope in Jesus, 
who we know has already overcome this world in which we live. So as I share today just a brief introduction into Daniel's life, the greatest theme from this book just might be this simple idea. God, or Daniel, Daniel knew that God is in control of those who are in control. I'm going to repeat that. Daniel knew that God was in control of those who are in control. Now, I asked this question, how on earth would Daniel know that? Think of it. Think of Daniel's life. How could Daniel have thought such a thing? As an outsider, looking at Daniel's life and the way this story begins, to me, it seems like Daniel was completely abandoned by his God. He lived in a good family, probably wealthy. He was intelligent. He was even good looking. Some guys have all the luck, don't they? I know, it's unfortunate, but it's true. The future was so bright. Not only that, but at least according to what we read, it seems like he was a fairly faithful young man. He was somewhat of a devoted follower to God. He observed a lot of the Jewish law. Now, you might think, well, of course he did. He's from Jerusalem. Do you remember why God let the Babylonians overtake Israel and Jerusalem and Judah? Because no one was following his law. Everyone was worshiping other things. So it's miraculous to begin with that Daniel was that type of individual He was practicing Jewish laws out of his love and devotion for God. At whatever level he had been taught, he had probably exceeded the levels of teaching that he'd been taught. But look what happened. Look what happened. His life was just about to take off, and his hometown was attacked, destroyed. Many of his people were killed. He was specifically targeted by the Babylonians because of everything I just told you about him. And he was a perfect fit for the re-education and training program over there in Babylon, So Daniel was taken captive and taken to Babylon, where he and some of his friends were trained in those Babylonian ways. Their goal was to teach them their culture, the language, the law, and the religion. And they did that for a very specific purpose, which I'll share with you later on in the series. In a sense, Daniel had lost everything, everything, except for one little thing, and that was his God. That was all he had left to hang on to. And you see, God's ways are often counterintuitive to the way that we think. They really oftentimes don't make sense to us because we seek to see immediate results, immediate victory, immediate change in our life. And we can tend to question the whys behind our suffering. And there's nothing wrong with asking that question. The age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, we could actually talk about some of the language in that question might not be quite accurate, but it's a common question. And often that question is followed by an even more frustrating thing. Why do good things seem to happen to bad people? Because that just doesn't seem fair at all. But God has a redemptive plan to help all of us in the midst of our circumstances, whatever those circumstances might be. Now, you've heard many of you have Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a famous, famous verse. It's a great verse, but it's always quoted out of context because Jeremiah was writing to a very specific group of people. It does contain some truth, though, for the life of Daniel. Why? Because Jeremiah was writing to Daniel, the exiles from Judah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future that was written specifically to the Jews who were in exile. For example, Daniel. Keep in mind, the majority of the Jews had completely abandoned God. They traded him for evil gods. They preferred worshiping idols and demons than to bow down to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So their exile was a direct result of their disobedience. But is it fair to Daniel? Daniel did not seem to be partaking in that disobedience. So obviously not. 
I heard it illustrated this way. Please note, okay, this illustration does not in any way attempt to convey the pain and suffering that would have gone along with someone being taken into captivity as a prisoner of war and then being instructed in the ways of your enemy, okay? It's not to make light of that at all. It's just to give us all a point of reference of getting something in our mind that's just simply not fair. Do any of you remember a time in elementary school where you got in trouble? A few of you were a little too quick to answer. No, not, we can talk later. Obviously, you had issues. No, no, I'm talking about this. Your whole class got in trouble for the actions of just one or two people. Do you remember those moments where maybe, let's just pretend that maybe you lost that one great privilege of the day, or maybe two if you're like me, recess. Remember, the whole class got punished and couldn't go to recess. Or maybe it was worse. Maybe your teacher took your whole class outside. And you had to stand along the wall of the school or the fence while all the other kids laughed and played and had fun and mocked you. I think that you'd get arrested probably as a teacher today if you did that, wouldn't you? I mean, seriously, like that, I remember distinct, I can picture the wall of Bainbridge Elementary's gym outside of it, our class standing there. No, I wasn't the reason we got in trouble either. But anyway, I can remember that. Now, those of you that recall those instances, you weren't the kid that got in trouble, were you? Now, the kid that got in trouble doesn't remember because they were always getting in trouble. But those of you, that wasn't fair. Probably you went to the teacher, didn't you? You pleaded your case. I, I wasn't a part. It was while the sub was there, right? And you weren't a part of it. You were good. You did what you were supposed to. You tried to help the sub. You remember making your defense. You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly where we're at. It wasn't fair. It's exactly the life of Daniel. It wasn't fair. But we don't read about him sulking in that If you grew up in the church like I did, then you're probably familiar with many of the stories from the book of Daniel. If you didn't, then I'll share a few bits and pieces of those as we go through his story. You see, Daniel is absolutely a hero of our faith. He is a gigantic figure. And if you're looking for a role model in Scripture that seems to kind of just be a regular guy, but yet has this super ability to connect with God and follow his ways in spite of everything else, Daniel would be a great place to turn and read about his life story. He's actually my second favorite character in all of God's Word, but not because of the Bible stories that we heard in Sunday school. You see, in Sunday school, the book of Daniel is often viewed as just kind of a storybook, and it's filled with miracles and prophecy, and that is all true. Who can forget about Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, right? But that's not really why God gave us that book at all. Those are some illustrations within the book. The book of Daniel is literally given to us to guide us, to help us as we now live in Babylon. As the world around us is constantly attacking us, persecuting us as we try to just worship our God faithfully, just like the life of Daniel. Daniel's life had an impact on three different kingdoms. Yeah, kingdoms, not people. The book of Daniel is not a diary. Daniel likely didn't write this until much later in life, and he was looking back on all that God had done. And so in order to understand this book, we must understand Daniel's life from his perspective. The cornerstone of everything was his God and his realization that God is in control of those who are in control. Even when the wicked seem to be succeeding and prospering according to the world, God's not surprised by that. That didn't take him off his throne In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds us, one, to pray and to love for our enemies and those that persecute us. And in the very same breath, he goes on and reminds us that as those enemies around us, hey guys, here's the thing, I'm going to cause the sun to rise and set on the evil and the good. I'm going to bring rains on the righteous 
and the unrighteous alike. Daniel watched the sun rise on the unrighteous, an evil empire. He experienced the persecution of God's people as a result of others' actions for not obeying God. And then he experienced the persecution of God's people as he did what God wanted him to do. That's why he was thrown in the lion's den in the first place. Daniel was caught up in the repercussions and the consequences of a national disobedience. Now, that's different in our country because our country is not the nation of God. That is Jerusalem. That is the Jews. That is them alone. Are we blessed by God? Absolutely. But we are not a chosen kingdom, a royal priesthood like that group was. So it's a little different nationally, a little different for us. Yet Daniel found a way to thrive in that atmosphere. And it was all based on his belief that God is in control of those who are in control of him. Daniel's book opens with some very interesting words. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. These are the key words. And the Lord delivered, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple. These he, Nebuchadnezzar, carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. And the Lord delivered. You see, from Daniel's perspective, it was God himself who gave victory to the Babylonians. God allowed, God gave Nebuchadnezzar these sacred items from the temple. He allowed them to be placed in the temple of a pagan god. God permitted Nebuchadnezzar to mock him, to ridicule him, to claim that the God of Israel had been defeated. But somehow, some way. Daniel was able to look back at his life and see God's hand in every single thing that happened. This is the foundation on which Daniel's hope, his humility that we'll see later on, and his wisdom rested. We definitely seem to be living in a world, once again, where humanity is uniting against God. As man ramps up its attacks on God and the ways of God, as the world seeks to eliminate God and his word completely from the public square, we've got to place our faith in the one who's in control of those who are in control. We have to remember that our Savior has overcome this world and all the evil that dwells within it. Do not forget this. Man's best laid plans, man's best attempts to dethrone God will ultimately spectacularly fail miserably. And sometimes we give the world a little too much credit. You see, God has a purpose for you here now. He has you here in this world at this time, in this culture, on purpose and for a purpose. So over the next couple weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to prepare for what we're dealing with. I wrote the battle ahead, but I don't agree with that. I think the battle is here and now. I don't think this is the future that we're talking about. I think it's where we're at. And God, Daniel's going to remind us that our hope in Jesus is the source of our courage to fight. Daniel's life of humility reveals to us how we can build credibility and even trust within the world that is trying to destroy us, and even those very people that are ones seeking our destruction. Finally, his wisdom, Daniel's wisdom, can help us to change our perspective on this world and what matters most in this life. So if this morning you, like I, am a bit concerned just a bit concerned about the state of our country. And let's just go ahead and throw the whole world in as well, because I think you probably share that. 
Maybe you're a little concerned about the anger, the hostility, the division, even the violence that is promoted everywhere. Then will you, like me, lift that up to God? As we study this series together, try not to dwell on those things unless we're dwelling on them to hand them over to God. Let Him take those burdens from us. Allow His presence to be revealed in your life during these times. See, because the thing is, the media, and that's where we get our information, love it or hate it, is never going to show you God, at least not intentionally. You see, you got to remember that God can reveal himself anytime, anywhere, any place, in any way he wants. The world can't stop him. So if you're trying to figure out if God is real, You see, there's two classes of folks here. There's folks that are accepting of God. They know Jesus. They love Jesus. And they're concerned about things. They don't know how it's all going to work. Do you think Daniel had a clue when he was being taken into captivity how that was going to turn out for him in the end? (laughs) Probably not. His His goal was just to remain faithful. But you see, we live in a world now where a majority, can I say that? A majority of people don't know Jesus even in our very own community, don't have a relationship with him. So they're trying to figure out in this world, in this context, if God is real. And the world is constantly telling them he's not. There is no God. It's not a real thing. Quit trying to even find it or discover it. Will you pray, if you're a seeker watching today, will you pray that God will open your mind, that he will open your heart and even your eyes ultimately to see him? Ask questions. And so many folks that are of faith don't ask questions. We should ask questions. We should, God, there's no question you can ask that's too hard for God. Did you know that? He hasn't answered every question you ask, even if it's a dumb question. Ask anyway. He doesn't mind. Okay? But when people are seeking, when they're trying to figure out if God's real, a lot of them are hesitant to ask questions because they're afraid of the response that they might get from a believer. That should never, ever, ever be the case. So if you're seeking, ask questions. Don't be discouraged as your search begins, because that discouragement is coming from one source, the one that doesn't want you to find your Lord and Savior. Know that if you're asking questions and you're seeking, then you are on the right path. I'm excited about where we're going and the encouragement that Daniel will offer us to help us thrive in this world in which we live. Father God, as we look at the life of your servant Daniel, what an incredible life he lived Was he perfect? Absolutely not. He was a fallen man, just like all of us. But Father, he was faithful, and he loved you more than we can know. So as we dive in and we look at his example, may we take from it what you would have us take. May our eyes be open to see you in this world. Father, as we look around and we see the pain and the discouragement and the things that are happening, and it's so easy to honestly forget about you and think, oh my goodness, we've lost control There's no hope for this world. No, there is hope for this world. His name is Jesus. It's not in the government. It's not in any kind of celebrity. The only hope for this world is Jesus. And I pray that through our lives, we lift that banner high for the world to see because they're searching. They're looking. And Father, if there's anyone watching or listening today that doesn't have that relationship with you and this lack of hope in this world, this difficult time that we're going through has just been too much. And I pray they're willing to give that up and give it to you. For you alone can handle their burdens. You alone can give them the peace and allow them to experience the love that they need to thrive in this world, not just survive. So many people are just trying to survive. Hang on, hang on tight and survive. No, 
No, you never called us to do that. You've given us permission. You've given us power. You've given your spirit to us so we may thrive even in this culture in which we live. Father, we love you and we thank you for your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.